Um, if you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at our Carmel location, and I want to welcome you and thank you for being with us today. You might not realize this, but this year as a church family, we have been on a journey to read and study through the Gospel of John together from beginning to end. We started in January, and today, midway through November, almost finishing up for November, we're done with the Gospel of John after today. It has been quite a journey. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 21, because that's where we're going to be today. And I know I've talked to many of you, I feel this way, I have really enjoyed working our way slowly and methodically through the Gospel of John. It has been really good to get an up-close-and-personal look at the life and ministry of Jesus. And if you missed this last week, we announced this. We're going to do the same thing next year in the book of Acts. And if you've never read the book of Acts or you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it is a fascinating history of the early church, how the early church was formed, how it functioned and how it grew. But here's the really cool story behind the book of Acts. It's people just like me and you who confess their faith in Jesus. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they went out into the world to make disciples the way Jesus had trained his initial disciples and they shared the message of the gospel to the end of the earth. And that's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years. So we're excited to join that journey with you as we jump into the book of Acts next year. But today we're gonna wrap up, John. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump right in. So let's pray real quick. Father, we're, we're thankful for the journey that we've been on as a church family so far. You have taught us so much from your word. You have helped us to have an up-close and personal look at who Jesus is and why he came and what he's called us to, the, the, the new life he wants to give us. So I pray that today, as, as the, the gospel of John comes to a close for us, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to see what you have for us today, because John chose to end his gospel in a very specific way, and I think it's a way that speaks to every single one of us. Every single one of us can find ourselves in this story. It is a story of forgiveness. It is a story of second chances. It is, it is a picture of what the gospel looks like. And so, Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you speak to us? And as we leave here today, would you send us out in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the message of the gospel, to model the message of the gospel, and to make Jesus's name known? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So in just a moment, we're going to jump into John chapter 21. But before we do, I want to take a little bit of a left turn. And I want, to, I want to rewind the clock just a little bit, about two or two and a half years into early into Jesus's ministry, okay? Back in Luke chapter 5, there's this story that mirrors the story at the end of Jesus's ministry in John 21. And in Luke 5, here's the story. Jesus is about a year, year and a half in. And he, he is on the Sea of Galilee, and this huge crowd of people come to him. He's teaching, and the crowd is so big, they started to push up against him, and he actually has to back into the water. He looks over, and he sees his friend Peter there, and he says, hey, can I borrow your boat? So the two of them get in their boat. They shove off from shore. Jesus sits down, and he teaches this crowd from the boat so he could have a little distance from the crowd. And then after teaching that crowd, he looks over at Peter, and he says, hey, let's go fishing. You fish. You've told me you're a fisherman. Let's go do this thing together. And look at Peter's response in verse five. Luke 5, 5, he says this. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Now, they were professional fishermen. They knew that you go fishing at night because the water cools and the fish come to the surface. But now that the sun's up, the fish go to the bottom. And so Peter's like, hey, look, I realize that you're Jesus, but this isn't going to work. But because you are Jesus, sure, we'll go do that. We're going to go fishing. Nothing's going to happen. Well, look at what happens. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
verse eight, when Simon Peter saw this, listen to this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. That sounds like a really weird response in light of a huge catch of fish. Verse nine, for he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Remember those guys, they're gonna come up later. Then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their nets up on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. Now you might be wondering, okay, cool story, lots of details, but what does that have to do with the end of Jesus's ministry in John 21? Well, what you're gonna see, what we're gonna see is there's these two stories, they mirror each other. They happen at the same place with the same people, so many of the same details. And I think John tells us this story to say, hey, pay attention, something huge is going on here. But here's the details that I want you to remember from what we just read. Professional fishermen, they knew what they were doing. They had caught nothing. And then Jesus shows up and they catch more fish than they've ever caught. Peter freaks out and says, I'm a sinful man. You don't want me on your team. And Jesus says, no, actually I do. Come with me and I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. And from that day on, from what we can tell in the gospels, these professional fishermen, they leave their life of fishing behind. They don't fish anymore from what we can tell until John 21. So let's pick up the story. Let's jump back into John 21, two and a half years later, after the resurrection. This is what we've seen the last two weeks. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has appeared to his disciples on two separate occasions in the city of Jerusalem. All of this has happened. And then we jump into John chapter 21, verse one. John writes this, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. After what? After he had appeared to them in Jerusalem, he's gonna appear to them again. And John tells us where? At the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you're like me, I've never been to Israel. So I want you to see this. This is where Jesus originally had appeared down here in Jerusalem. But now he appears way up here, 70 miles to the north. And oh, by the way, this is where those fishermen loved to fish. This was their favorite fishing hole. So a completely different story, but go back to verse two because John gives us some important details. He says, Simon Peter, Thomas, who we learned about last week, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, the guys in Luke 5, and two other disciples. That's seven men. John says, I'm going to tell you a story about a time that only these seven guys in Jesus were able to see and where it happened. It happened on the Sea of Galilee, the same place that Luke 5 took place. So I want you to pay attention to these details because John is going to start to show us something important. Look at verse three. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat and that night they caught nothing. Now remember, for two and a half years, these guys have not fished at all from what we can tell. They had given that up. Now, not only did they give it up, but if you're not familiar with who Peter is, Peter was Jesus's right-hand man. And when he walked away from fishing, Jesus began this process of all the 12 disciples. Jesus began to train and equip and prepare Peter to be in charge when he went away. So this is a really big deal. And not only that, Peter must have had some pretty serious leadership qualities. Because after not fishing for two and a half years, he says, you know what? I think I'm gonna go fishing. And six guys are like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. We'll go with you. And they go out that night. And these professional fishermen, just like in Luke 5, caught absolutely nothing. So we should ask a question. What's going on here? Why after all this time would Peter and his fishing buddies decide to go back to fishing? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 4. Early in the morning, 
Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. There's this theme that comes up after the resurrection. For some reason, they had a hard time identifying who he was. They knew that it was him, but apparently he looked different. And so this guy, this stranger from the shore, who's Jesus, that they don't know is Jesus, shouts out, hey, have you guys caught anything? And they just respond with no. Like, it's kind of not the question you want after a night of not catching any fish whatsoever. Now, question, have you ever felt like God is asking you a question that you know that he already knows the answer to? Have you ever felt him do that before? Isn't that frustrating? Isn't that kind of annoying? It's like, come on, God, just give me the answer. You already, like, why are we going through this little exercise? So when Jesus shouts this out, he knows the answer already, but I think something's going on here. Imagine how you would feel if you fished all night and you hadn't caught anything. And maybe sometimes When Jesus asks us a question that we know that he already knows the answer to, maybe he's trying to show us, hey, you're kind of like this. I'm asking you this question so you can see that your life isn't fruitful the way that you had hoped. Things aren't working out the way that you had planned. That that hidden habit is leaving you feeling empty. That not-so-secret addiction is starting to become a problem. The party scene is starting to get old. You don't even like who you are in this season of life. And so I think when Jesus asks us these questions, I think he's trying to say, hey, just curious, do you feel like you've been out fishing all night? You don't have anything to show for it? That's what's happening there. And I think we can all relate to that, right? Look at verse six. He said, from the shore, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Again, just like Luke chapter five, except Luke chapter five happened two and a half years before. Verse seven, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, says to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. They were about a football field off shore. Now, whose idea was it to go fishing in the first place? It was Peter's idea. And now they've caught more fish than they've ever caught before. And what does the guy that wanted to go fishing do? He says, I'll see you guys later. He jumps out and he starts to swim to Jesus. What on earth is going on? Now, if you don't know much about Peter's story, or maybe you do, let me remind you, I think he's got a lot going on in his life right now. John tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, just I don't know, a week or two before this, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter, the guy that Jesus had been training to be his right-hand man, disowned, disassociated himself from Jesus, not just once, but three times. And if you're familiar with the story, you're like, yeah, that's really unfortunate. But Jesus, Jesus took care of that. I heard someone say recently, this would be unheard of in rabbinical Judaism. For a student like Peter, to disown or disassociate from Jesus was unheard of. You didn't do it. It would be like saying, sorry, Jesus, you're dead to me. We're done. And so I think Peter's got a lot going on in his life right now. In fact, in John 18, John tells us about the night that Peter disowned Jesus. In fact, he gives us a really interesting detail. After he denies Jesus the first time, uh, John tells us exactly where Peter was. John chapter 18, 18 says this. 
It was a cold night and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing there with them, warming himself. Now you might think that's a really weird detail. Why are we going back a few chapters? I'll tell you why. This word for fire is the Greek word anthrakia. It means a fire of coals. Some of your translations might say a charcoal fire, which means it was a specific type of fire. It had a certain look. It had a certain smell to it. But still, why does that matter to this story? Well, here's what's fascinating. This word for fire is used two times in all of scripture. It's used on the night that Peter betrayed Jesus. He stood next to that kind of fire. And I want you to see what Peter discovered when he swam to shore. Look at John chapter 21, verse nine. When they, when the disciples landed on the shore, when Peter had swam and the other guys brought the boats, they found a fire of coals. Same word, it's the word anthrakia. It's used two places. The night that he betrayed him and the night he swam to the shore. And there's Jesus sitting by this fire. He had fish on it and some bread. Now I hope you can start to appreciate what John is doing for us here. He is saying, I wanna show you something that no one else saw. I was there, I saw this. And what we're getting ready to see is that Jesus is gonna confront Peter's greatest failure in front of his closest friends. And I want you to think about the significance of this. Think about all the way that all the other gospel writers in their gospel Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all end pretty similarly. Jesus rises from the dead. That's a big deal. He appears to his disciples, also a big deal. He empowers them. He sends them out into the world, and then Jesus ascends into heaven. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all in that way. But John says in this last chapter, I want to show you something different. I want you to see a different detail to this story. I want to tell you about the time that Jesus addressed my friend Peter his greatest failures by a fire of coals on a beach. Think about this. How does it start? We know that they're at the Sea of Galilee where Peter used to fish. And after two and a half years of not fishing, all of a sudden Peter decides, I'm gonna go back to fish. So why? Why now after all this time had elapsed? And there's lots of theories. Maybe he had some time on his hands. Maybe he missed fishing. Or here's one. Maybe Peter thought, I'm too far gone. I know what I have done to my friend Jesus. And I, I, I think he probably loves me. And I think he's probably okay for me to be around. But I think I've really blown it in terms of being his right hand man. There's no way I get to hang out with everybody else anymore. So I should probably get the fishing gear out and learn how to do the thing that I know how to do best. So Peter swims to shore. And he sees Jesus sitting around this fire of coals. And I have to imagine, it just brought up all kinds of memories. Have you ever had something like that where you see something or you smell something or you go to a certain place and it takes you back to a memory and it's such a powerful memory that it brings tears to your eyes? Luke tells us that on the night that Peter betrayed Jesus, he wept bitterly by that fire because he had betrayed his friend in ways that he didn't even think it was worse than he could have ever imagined. And now Jesus is like, hey, Peter, let's have breakfast. Did you see the fire that I built? Oh, yes, Lord, I see that fire. I would rather not. Oh, thanks, I'm good. And here's what you realize. So if you keep reading, Jesus, they eat breakfast together. They hang out for a little bit. And then after breakfast, Jesus starts asking Peter some very direct 
and important questions. Look at John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, so they're all sitting there together, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus says, feed my lambs. Now, this is the first of three times that Jesus is gonna say, hey, Peter, do you love me? But this time is unique. He says, do you love me more than these? And there's theories on this. Because at one point in time, Peter had said, I love you more than anyone else. So the these could be, hey, Peter, do you love me more than all these other guys? Or the these could be the boats and the nets and the fish. Hey, Peter, do you love me more than your former way of life? And here's the truth. We don't know what the these are, but Peter did. And Jesus was speaking very directly to him. And Peter responds. He says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Look at verse 16. Again, a second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, okay, well then take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Look at this, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, okay, feed my sheep. Now, there are so many details In just those few verses, we could have a seminar for the rest of the day. We're not going to be able to hit on all of it, but here's what I want you to see. On that morning, after the resurrection, on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, around a fire of coals, Jesus is beginning to address Peter's greatest insecurities, his greatest fears. The moment that he did not want to think about, and I don't think he was doing it to shame Peter, I don't think he was doing it to embarrass him in front of his buddies. I think Jesus is working to restore the relationship with one another. And he's going through the process of reinstating Peter as a leader in front of these other men. Now, if you're a word nerd like me, sometimes you learn things about Hebrew and Greek and it's pretty fascinating. There's some pretty important words that show up here. In verses 15 and 16, when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses a Greek word. So there's four word, Greek words for love. Two of them show up in this conversation. Jesus says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me? Now this is known as a divine love. This is a sacrificing love. It is the purest form of love. This is, Jesus says, Peter, is this the way that you love me? When I think of agapeo love, I think of my wife and my kids. It's a love that I cannot even explain to you. I would do anything to keep them safe. I would do anything to protect them. I think that's an agapeo type of love. This is the kind of love Jesus says, hey, do you you love me this way? And Peter responds and says, yes, Lord, I love you. But he doesn't use agapeo. He uses the word phileo. And phileo is a brotherly love. This is the kind of love you have for a close friend. It's not a bad form of love. It's just by definition, they're different. I agapeo my family. I phileo a lot of other people. It's not that I love them less. I just love them differently. Isn't it interesting that John includes this detail? Now, some people say John's just using these words interchangeably. It's no big deal. No way. I have a hard time believing that because John's been very specific with a lot of words. And so here's what I want you to see in verses 15, 16, and 17. This is how this dialogue goes. Jesus says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me in the most pure way? Peter says, oh, Lord, I, I love you like a good friend. Okay, well, but do you, do you agapeo me? 
Do you love me in the deepest way possible? Jesus, you know we're buddies. I love you like a brother. And then finally, Jesus says, okay, okay. do you phileo me? Do you like me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. Now, it'd be easy to look at this and say, like, maybe Jesus is like, okay, fine. I gave you the opportunity. I gave you the opportunity, and I guess you just want to be friends. Guess what? I got a lot of those, so I'll follow up with you later. Thankfully, that's not the way Jesus thinks. And I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think that Jesus is hurt. I don't think he's offended. And I don't think Peter loves him any less. I just, I wonder, I wonder if Peter was afraid to set himself up for failure again. And you know why I think that? That's what I do. And I bet you do too. I know me. And I understand that through faith in Jesus, through faith in his death, I understand my sins are forgiven. I don't doubt that. I don't understand it, but I don't doubt it. And I know that God loves me, but sometimes I feel like he loves me because he has to. Because I know me. I know my thoughts. I know my patterns. I know my habits. And so I'm a lot like Peter. I'm like, ah, agapeo, Lord. Like, I don't know that I can measure up to that. I really, I'm not worthy of that. So I'll just go to here. Does anybody else, can anybody else relate to this? Right? I think this, I think what John is doing is saying, hey, guess what? Peter's story is actually your story too. Because don't we all struggle to go back to those old patterns in life when we don't know what to do? And we, we, we don't want to go there, but we go there and we think, ah, oh, here I am again. And don't we all struggle to accept God's perfect sacrifice through his son in spite of our perpetual sinfulness. So let's go back to this conversation between Jesus and Peter. Why would Jesus downgrade to phileo? Was he giving up? I don't think so. I personally, I wonder if Jesus was saying, okay, you know what, Peter? If this is all you got, I'll meet you right where you are. If that's all that you think that you can do, I still believe in you and I'll, I'll meet you there. Look at verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. And listen to what Peter says, Lord, you know all things. I think Peter is saying, Jesus, let's be honest. You know me better than I know me. You know the kind of love that I'm capable of. And I think this is all I got. But there's another pattern in Peter's life that I think ties all of this together for us. Let's go back to the story. What does Peter do in that moment when he sees Jesus on the shore? He bails on the boats, he bails on his buddies, he bails on the fish, and he swims to shore as fast as he can. Why? Because he wants to be the first guy to arrive on shore. And then after they get to shore, this is really interesting. Jesus, has, he says, hey, come have breakfast. In fact, I've already got some fish, but why don't you bring some of the fish in your net? And look at what happens. Look who responds. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. It was full of 153 large fish. It doesn't say that Peter and his friends got into the boat. Peter scrambles to the boat all by himself to pull these fish in. Do you see the pattern? It just seems to me like Peter's working really, really hard to say, hey, look, I know I've messed up, but I'm still valuable. I might, not be your, I might not be your number one guy, 
but please, can I just stay on the team? This is a pattern that shows up in Peter's life over and over and over again. Go back to the night that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Who was the one that said, you're not gonna wash my feet? It was Peter. Whether he was too prideful to receive it, I don't know. And then later in that same night, Peter says, Lord, I will die for you. And Jesus says, I hate to tell you, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. And then when Jesus is actually arrested, Peter takes out his sword and cuts off a guy's ear and Jesus has to rebuke him in front of a crowd of people. In the gospel of John, it is well-documented that Peter lived a life of pride and self-reliance. He had a really hard time letting other people help him. He had a really hard time doing what he was supposed to do. It was a pattern that shows up over and over and over again. And so I can't help but wonder that on that beach that morning when Jesus asked him three different times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I think what he is saying is, hey, Peter, I see you working real hard, but would you be willing to just rest in my love? Would you be willing to admit I've done everything for you and I'm just asking you to love me back in return? And I can do more with the rest of your life if you just rest in my love. But I think that's what he's doing. And guys, is it just me or does that hit real close to home for you too? How many of you have a hard time forgiving yourself for some things in your past? You don't want anybody else to know, but you can't let them go. You have a real hard time? Because I know I do. And how many of you try to make up for those past failures and mistakes by working really hard for everyone else to think that you've got it together? How many of you have some kind of spiritual routine that you go through so that if you were to stand before God, you're like, hey, I'm not perfect, but I do this, 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 and this, right? I think we all do. I know I do. And I think it's the beauty of the end of the gospel of John because I think John says, hey, what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for all of us because that's the way that we want to operate. We all want to be self-reliant. We all want to think that we've got our own righteousness that we can bring to the table. But here's the reality of the message of the gospel. The gospel is not based on my self-reliance or yours. The gospel isn't about me being a better version of me all on my own or you either. The message of the gospel is that none of us measure up. And without Jesus, we're all too far gone but through faith in him, we are forgiven. And through his love, he can do more with our lives than we could ever imagine. Let me show you what I mean. If you go back to John 21, not only does Peter or does Jesus reinstate Peter, he calls him back to the mission. Look at verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted but when you're old, you're gonna stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not wanna go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, when you read that, it sounds like, oh man, that sounds pretty ominous. It almost sounds like Jesus is like, don't you worry, you'll get yours. I think what Jesus is doing though is he's sharing a prophecy with Peter. And he's saying, hey Peter, when you were young, you enjoyed your freedom, but when you're older, you're gonna lose your freedom. But here's what I want you to know. You're gonna lose your freedom because you love me. I've seen your future, Peter. I know how much you love me. And history teaches us that Peter, this guy goes on to be the leader of the, new, the, the early church in the book of Acts. And he becomes so bold for Jesus, he's arrested. But not only is he arrested for his faith, he's crucified upside down. 
And history teaches us he wanted to be up, crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to die the way that my master did. I think Jesus is saying, I've seen the end of your story, Peter. I know how much you love me. But look at what Jesus says at the very end of verse 19. He says this, follow me, exclamation mark. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Now, I did a little research If you look through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus uses this phrase, follow me, over 20 different times. This is a phrase that Peter and all of his buddies would have heard Jesus use on several different occasions. But here's something even more fascinating. It's a phrase that Jesus used with Peter at least twice. There's a story that Matthew and Mark record at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. It says that one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew fishing and he says, hey, follow me. And it says that they left what they were doing and they began to follow Jesus. That was the first time Peter had heard this. And then guess what? A few weeks later, Luke chapter five happened. He, they went back to fishing. Remember when they called to the fish and Peter says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. What he is saying is, you've already called me away and you caught me red-handed. Two and a half years later, he had given it up. And now Jesus is saying, I know that you feel like a failure. I know, I know that you've let yourself down, but Peter, I forgive you and I want you now to follow me. Go where I'm telling you to go. Let me show you how to live the rest of your life. And here's what I want you to see. The same thing, the same thing that Jesus would do for Peter, he does for us. He invites us to follow him. He addresses our worst moments in life and says, guess what? I died to pay for that. You can't make up for it, but I have. I want you to now follow me. I wanna do more with your life than you could ever imagine. I just want you to rest in my love so that I can make the rest of your life something that would glorify me. And so here's what I want you to see. We've all had a moment in life where we felt like we were too far gone. The story's over, let's just give up. And Jesus says, nope, I paid for that. So it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter where you think you're going. He wants to change the trajectory of your life when you learn to rest in him so he can do more with the rest of your life. None of us, none of us are good enough on our own. I don't care how good you think you are. We have all sinned and fall short of the standard of God. But what we see here is you can't be too far gone for Jesus to bring you back. I wanna share a quote with you that I read this week by pastor and author, Paul David Tripp. It says this, he says, when you confess your sins to God, you don't just admit that you've sinned You're also confessing that you have no power to deliver yourself from the sin you just confessed. True confession always combines an admission of wrong with a plea for help. That's what was happening in Peter's life. He had to confess, he had to admit, and then he had to be willing to say, okay, Jesus, I will follow you from this point forward. Now, as we wrap up, I wanna share one more passage with you from the Gospel of John that I think is a summary of this chapter and maybe a a good summary of the entire book of John. We've studied this passage before. We did a whole sermon series on it a couple years ago. It comes from John chapter 15. 
John writes these words. These are Jesus's words. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you rest in my love, I will do more with your life than you could ever imagine. But you have to remain in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're gonna feel like you're fishing all night with nothing to show for it. But if you rest in my love, I will do more with the rest of your life. Jesus is ready to meet you on the beach. He is ready to go back to that place that you wanna forget. He's ready to restore you. He is ready to forgive you. And he's ready to say, hey, let's do something different now. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful uh, for this story that John shared with us. I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, that you inspired him to end his gospel in a way that was completely different. And it is a powerful image of the message of the gospel, but it's Jesus showing us what the gospel looks like. It's Jesus taking Peter's worst moment and saying, I can redeem that. I need you to rest in my love and follow me. Jesus, that's what you've done for us. Would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you convict us? Would you convict me to stop working so hard to try to please you and everyone else and just to rest in the mystery of your agapeo love, your pure sacrificial love? Will you help us to walk with you? Will you help us to live our faith out in you? And would you help us to bring you glory? Jesus, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray.